0: Hello again, friends, and welcome to My Back 40, my backyard and the My Back 40 podcast. I'm your host, Steve O'Shaughnessy. I've had a couple comments lately just about the My Back 40 thing and it made me question the the branding, to be honest. <laughs> but I know uh, I know maybe a lot of people around the world don't know what that means and maybe hopefully you do now. But um whenever people were talking to me about riding bikes, it's like, oh, where did you go? And sometimes I don't know really where I went, or I can't oh, you know, just in the back forty, back forty acres you know, backyard. So that's kind of where it, it all kind of came from. But yeah, man, I started this podcast to talk about endurance, athletics, training, nutrition, and, uh, I really lean into the mental health benefits of moving through nature. That's kind of my jam. And, um, cycling has always been a huge part of my life. It's, uh, always how old am I now? 50, like 30, the last 30 years of my life seriously have been spent, um, on, on cycling. And, um, it's something that it's always been a staple in my life. I've always ridden a bike, whether I was commuting or trail riding. Um, you know, uh, I remember back what, what kind of got me into mountain biking mostly was, uh, I moved to Whistler in like 1990. I think it was, I was broke. I had a little bit of money and, uh, I just like, Oh, I want, to really want to get a bike. So I bought at that time, dude, I think it was maybe only three or 400 bucks, but it was a, uh, some it was a marin um oh, damn it, i can't remember bear country or something Shit, i can't remember the, the type of bike it was it wasn't my first mountain bike but in whistler that was my first mountain bike and i remember heading out with some buddies derek rhodes and uh scott lumsden i think i remember we went up into the into the what do we ride we were riding across whistler from the creek side what was that trail called uh, bear creek if people are listening to this who live in that area, I think it was part of the Chequemus Challenge when he got into Whistler. And, uh, you know, no helmets, you know, just sneakers, <laughs> just heading off into the mountains to ride bikes. And um, I just remember that was a memorable ride because I was like, what the fuck, man, where are we going? Because I had no idea where they were taking me. And uh, that kind of launched my my passion for cycling. So yeah, I did a lot of biking in, in Whistler and Pemberton and uh, Squamish in that area. don't really ride terrain like that anymore like i just remember falling off logs and practicing skinnies all the time and and uh riding on the coast is a lot different too especially you know in that that sea to sky region because it's like you're either like granny up crazy crazy climbs and rocks and roots or you're just like drop the saddle and careening down wet slippery oh man yeah i i miss riding there it's a good time but um I find my riding has changed a lot, just in the last little while, and maybe it comes with age. I don't know. People say, "Oh, well, this dude's still shredding, being drops when he when he was 50 years old." I'm like, "Well, yeah, it's not really my jam anyway." I think I ride more for fitness now, and um I'm cool with that. I was riding with my buddy Rob again the other night, and I was thinking, oh, "Dude, he must be so bored," because he wanted to do some do some steady kind of like easy kilometers. So we went out for a bit of a rip and. Yeah, I said, oh, it must be so I can ride the same shit over and over again and when I get bored of it I just do it backwards. <laughs> so it's uh yeah, I definitely am out there more for um, meditation and and fitness than I am for novelty, I guess. Yeah, I don't mind just sitting and spinning and getting lost in my own head or into a podcast or book, which is which is more common. But um yeah, so thanks for joining me again. No voice intros. If you want to send me a voice intro, I'd love it. You can whip out your device, record me something and send it to myback40podcast at gmail.com and I'll get it on the show. So yeah, don't be shy. Please reach out. What else do I want to talk about today? Um, can I talk a little bit about training again? So um, a few weeks back, um, just as a reminder, I, I got an email and the dude was like saying, yeah, you know, you've done some kind of interesting things. You should share your take on training and kind of preparedness and how you kind of get into things. I think last week I was talking about uh was it ultra ego was that last week i can't remember but this week i was gonna just talk briefly about pacing yourself i think um when you look at an an endurance uh ultra endurance bike packing race i think that race um word needs to uh, you need to kind of like lowercase that word just like you know it's a race because don't get caught up in that because what i find um i mean the, the my first the first event that I completed was the BC Epic and and um didn't win it. Um I think I was like thirteenth or fourteenth or something like that behind um I think Carl Miller was um ahead of me. He passed me around Wardner. I remember I just woke up after it was like my twenty seven hour day or whatever, and I woke up after a shitty sleep and and uh, was like, yeah, that was the day to finish. So I remember getting on my bike. And then I thought I was kind of was like, oh, there's no one around. And then suddenly Carl passed me and, and uh, saw him at the end. And he said that there was a dude behind me, which kind of lit a fire under my ass. So anyway, quick little kind of memory. But um, I remember uh, in Merit, uh, starting with my friend Katrina and her husband Mike and uh, their son Zion, because they were going to tour the route. So I started at the very back of the pack. And honestly... I think that was the best thing I could have done for myself because um, I didn't get caught up in the front. And again, I'm not really a pointy end of the spirit kind of rider anyway, but I think my mental state going into that one was like, I'm just going to keep moving and I'm, I'm going to just, I just wanted to finish. I didn't really want to win it. I had no intention or, or expectation of, of winning the BC Epic. But what was cool about just starting kind of near the back of the pack was one, one, um, you're riding by yourself quite a bit because, you know, everyone's kind of, a lot of people get caught up in it. And um, at two, you get to see people along the way because as you're, you know, I'm kind of a mid-pack rider, I guess. So as as I was picking my way through the pack, it's like, oh, hey, dude, hey, hey, hey. You know, you see all these people and you get to chat with them a little bit. And you kind of, you know, you yo-yo with people a little bit. And and uh, so it was kind of nice that way as well. But I think the, the, the biggest benefit of all of that was just like uh, the warm-up is pacing yourself. It's like, don't get too caught up in it. Just like start riding your bike, keep it chill. You know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be out of breath in your first 20 minutes of starting this thing. You've got days, right? If it's like a multi-day race, you've got days. And I know personally for me, it takes me a couple hours to get warmed up, like half a day to get warmed up sometimes. And then after that, you can kind of start cranking it on. That, that's the That's the way my body works. But I think going in too hard is a disaster because you're going to deplete your body too quickly and um, you're just not going to enjoy it. And I don't think it's going to add to the success of you finishing that. So pace yourself, slow it down. Um, You know, I think even the pointy end guys say on the BC Epic, I'm I'm speculating, um, but I would say their average speed might be what, you know, Dion Clark or Evan Deutsch could comment on this, but I'm thinking like 18 to 20K an hour maybe 21k an hour go out and ride 21k an hour and see what that feels like it's a pretty good pace actually you know for these uh race the the guys who are winning these things but you know i think on the bc epic i was averaging maybe it might have been 16 or 17 so go and ride 16 or 17k an hour and see what that feels like it's pretty chill if you're going out trying to maintain 25k an hour and you're an amateur i don't know i think those expectations are pretty high so yourself I think that's my biggest uh, advice for these multi-day things and enjoy it it's like you know start off slow look around chat with some of the other riders and um, get into the flow you're, you're not going to find the flow uh, right off the bat in like 20 minutes so so treat yourself gently treat the race gently at first and find the flow and then when you find that flow state then just enter that flow you know what I'm saying it's kind of sound woo-woo aren't I <laughs> anyway I reiterate pace yourself. I hope that helps. All right. Those of you, I'm sure we're following along with uh, Abdullah Zinab uh, going for his 24 hour world record attempt and also fundraiser for Masaka Cycling Club. Well, man, I, have, I feel a lot for this dude because he puts so much out there to make this happen. And uh due to what sounds like a lot of uh uh, uh gut problems basically and a, a lot of throwing up, it really, really set him back. um so though he did not uh attain the record, he raised like a shit ton of money, and I'm going to tell you how much money. um he ended up raising like twenty nine thousand dollars, right? Is that correct? Let me just read in here. Australian, $29,000. It's mind blowing. So, um, there's been a lot going on with the Masaka Cycling Club late, uh, lately. A lot of people are putting a lot of energy into making this thing a success. And, uh, so far it's been crazy. I'm just going to share with you some stuff that I got from Ross Burridge. Um, those of you who are kind of in the, in the, e- uh, not in the email chain, uh, may not have heard a lot of this stuff. So, um, uh, I'm just going to read it kind of as it is in the email here. So DreamMaker Clubhouse status. The contractors left the site for a couple of weeks mid-April due to running out of funds. We needed another $24,000. And these these numbers are in Australian dollars, which I think is similar to Canadian, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they needed twenty-four dollars to wrap the project up. Then this happened. John Jacoby called and pledged $10,000 to get them back on site ASAP. We avoided paying $4,000 of monthly donor funds on customs duty payments for the six bikes we sent from Oz. And then Abdullah Zinab raised an additional $10,000 just last weekend from his uh, 24 hour, $24,000 campaign. Uh, we are now full stream, full steam ahead and expect to wrap it up in four to five weeks time. We should be occupying the Zwifting. Oh, sorry. We should be occupying and Zwifting in June, July. We bloody did it, team. Huge thanks to everyone who made this happen. Please be super proud. So for those of you who are involved in the Masaka Cycling Club project, uh, it's a very, very proud moment. Um, It's so cool how um, on this little blue marble that floats in space with like 8 billion people on it, how you can mobilize um, people from all around the globe uh, who are interested in one thing, and to work toward that thing, and then to see it come together like this. <laughs> it's been awesome. It's been so great, and I'm so happy to be a part of it. Um, um, I, I donate when I can. I was just listening to a podcast today uh, with um, Tangentially Speaking with Chris Ryan, and he was just talking about altruism, and and uh, I do try to give back. For, for those of you who, who donate to my project, um, part of my goal is to to spread it out, to spread the love of of cycling and and just giving back, right? So, so rest assured, I, I do give some money um, from the donations out too. And my focus has been the Masaka Cycling Club since uh, almost since the early inception of the MyBack40 project. So, to see this all come together is just so awesome. I'm gonna read you some more here, um, uh, Abdullah Zinab. Holy moly, this campaign was intense. Ambassador Abdullah Zinab embarked on an an aggressive campaign to raise $24,000 to continue and finish the above clubhouse build. We were sitting on $19,000 going into last weekend's 24-hour world record attempt. Sadly, Abdullah didn't achieve his world record goal, but what he did do is raise a further $10,000 through his incredible supporter network in three days to take his campaign tally to Australian (laughs) $29,000. It's amazing. There was, however, heartbreak loads of tears when the great man knew he could not achieve his world record goal. And, um, but you know what, man, it would be, it would be, it would just be heartbreaking to put so much energy and, uh, into it and, and not to attain the goal. But dude, you, you Abdullah, you fucking blew that goal out of the water, man. You showed us your strength and your focus and, um, what you, what you did far exceeds, any expectation that like anyone had so congratulations Abdullah. congratulations masaka cycling club and and thanks for everyone for coming along um on that ride um pretty amazing um Eve circ titanium built those uh built the masaka cycling club a couple bikes for the uh migration gravel race coming up um so uh kato paul and was waswa Peter um, twins are currently neck deep in in an aggressive Sufferfest training program (laughs) overseen by the incredible coach, Sam Mutton. I hope I pronounced your last name right. In in preparation for the migration gravel race, a four-day 650-kilometer stage race in Kenya, and that's happening in June. Our goal is top 10 against the best of East Africa for both lads. Sam has nurtured them up to 5.1 watts per kilo. I don't really know a lot about that stuff. Um, so Sam has nurtured them up to 5.1 Watts per kilogram during their 20 minute FTP test, which puts them in the super elite category of riders. I understand that. So that's awesome. He believes there's still a lot of improvement in the lads to come. Um, so come June, we should see some serious firepower from Masako cycling club. So awesome. And I can't wait for that to go down as well. So anyway, it's been a really wicked project. So um, if you want to check out ways you can support the Masaka Cycling Club, just go to masakacyclingclub.com and you look at the top and there's going to be a donate link. You can click there. You can give a one-time or you can give uh, a monthly, basically subscribe to give per month. And that's kind of what they need because they do have some administrative uh, overhead that they need to maintain to keep the club afloat. And they could use all of our help. So again, those of you who are involved, thanks you, thank you so much. It's so awesome. And um, it makes me proud that the MyBack 40 community, and I know some of you out there have uh, given to this awesome project, uh, the Masaka Cycling Club project. Um, it makes me feel really proud that my little community had a play in that. So my heart to you. Thanks so much. I know I've been talking for a long time. I know it's my MO. I talk. It's what I do. I wanted to talk about a new relationship I've just set up with Ranchbox, ranchbox.ca. So when I started my carnivore journey, I was looking for, um, uh, I hooked up with ancestral supplements because what better way to get um, the nutrition you need than uh, supplementing your uh, existing diet, whatever it may be. With uh, organ meat, and uh, because that's well known as being the most nutritious nutritious food on the planet is organ meat. So, hooked up with ancestral supplements, and I was like, you know, if I'm gonna go carnivore, I want to find clean meat, and um, I found that with RanchBox.ca. I reached out to RanchBox and was able to have a fantastic conversation with Andrew, who is the rancher there at RanchBox, and we had a, we had a really lengthy conversation just about uh, existing. Um, factory farming practices, and what he experienced by making a change on his ranch um, with not only the health of his animals, but also the health of the soil that he was ranching upon. So this really, really awesome conversation. And um, I mean, in summary, I think they've been ranching there for um, over 15 years, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, at first, they found their uh, animals... You know, the, they were seeing like a 10% kind of illness rate, I guess, for lack of a better word, that they would have to kind of treat every year. And over the course of the next handful of years, a very short period of time, that went up to like 60% of their animals. So um, something had to change. Something had to give. It wasn't right. Uh, why are the animals so unhealthy? So they completely changed the way they do things. And they worked from a more regenerative uh, angle, so really focusing on soil health on their ranch, which means better feed for the cattle, which means healthier cattle, and that he he saw that <laughs> he saw that almost instantly as soon as they changed their farming practices and uh, took more um, uh, effort into giving the animals the nutrition they needed, that the expense of Uh, treating animals for conditions went down drastically. So I had a great conversation with him. Uh, Ranchbox.ca is a uh, subscription service similar to uh, ButcherBox, if you've heard of that in the States. And um, they have some great, great products. So I want you to head on over to Ranchbox.ca and you can use the promo code MB40-10 and you're going to save 10% through regenerative agricultural practices like adaptive grazing and diverse ecosystems we can bring health and life back onto our land and into our homes join us on our journey of restoring goodness to the land the animals and the people ranchbox.ca and that goes hand in hand with ancestral supplements so ancestral supplements makes nose to tail animal products they basically take all the organ meats they uh, desiccate them they freeze dry them desiccate them and put them in capsule form. Um, it's known for, for for many years, our ancestors always ate the organs first out of an animal. If they would go into the field and hunt and bring back food for the tribe, oftentimes the first thing they would eat would be the organ meats. And I've also read that sometimes they would even throw the muscle meats to their to their animals to eat because um, all the nutrition is in the organ meats. So, And I also know that organ meats kind of suck to eat. They can be kind of hard to prepare maybe uh, not the most uh, not the best flavor. I mean when's the last time you had liver. I'm sure some of you eat liver all the time. but it's not super palatable but now you can eat the organ meats uh, and get missing vitamins ADK, um, B12, iodine, iron, choline, magnesium. you can get all these nutrients in a convenient to take capsule ancestral supplements. So lately I've been taking uh, I've been taking liver, uh, living bone, Uh, blood, uh, the products called blood vitality, and as well as uh, wild caught fish eggs. And I've been feeling fantastic. Um, So I highly recommend check it out. And even if you're, uh, you're you're omnivorous as it is now, and you don't really eat a lot of meat, what better way to get the nutrition from organ meats than in these little capsules. So check them out ancestral supplements.com. And if you use the promo code MB40 at checkout, you're going to save 10%. I also want to thank Dynamic Cyclist for supporting the podcast. Um, Still running the great promo. uh, One of the best discounts you're going to see of any promo code online, honestly. And that promo offer code is MB40. If you use that at Dynamic Cyclist, you're going to save 25%. What are you going to save 25% on? Awesome stretching and mobility programs. Uh, Yoga um injury treatment. They've got tons and tons and tons of videos um, that will guide you through just daily stretching and mobility practice. Um, you're gonna feel better and stronger on the bike. I know I have since I've been doing dynamic cyclist. And um basically you can find these imbalances in your body and then you can dig into the dynamic cyclist and find stretches that address the imbalance that you have. It's kind of a one stop shop. It's almost like having a physiotherapist in your phone, right? It's crazy. So please do me a favor, head on over to dynamiccyclist.com, use the promo code MB40 at checkout, and you're going to save 25%. And also, I just got in touch with Ryan Draper today at Cycling 101, and I wanted to verify that we're still go for coupon code VIP50. So summer's here, man. It's like around the corner, like next month, and uh, you're training for something. We're all training for something. And even if you're not, you just want to kind of get after it a bit better and, you know, see results, reach out to Cycling 101, get a consultation, use the promo code VIP50, and you're going to save 50%. I've been working with Ryan for, oh no, man, I don't know, eight months, six months now and uh it's been great he's a very intuitive coach and i think his style is basically fitting in a successful training program into a busy life and that's what he's really good at so um i've really enjoyed i've really enjoyed working with ryan and i think you will too so please check him out cycling 101 ryan draper offer code vip50 to save 50% off a consultation all right this week on the podcast i'm speaking with sarah and guy stewart the father and daughter collaboration of bikepackersfoundry.com when guy retired he discovered bikepacking and soon after he began building his own bags guy spent a lot of time building luggage but it started to feel a little too much like work so in 2019 he reached out to his daughter sarah and asked if she'd be interested in starting a business with sarah's background in sales it wasn't long before they were open for business Sarah jumped in with both feet to learn all the skills required to fabricate each quality piece while also running all other aspects of the business. Hands-on, to say the least. Bikepackersfoundry.com's mission is to create, field test, and handcraft original ultralight bikepacking gear using high-quality materials. They also provide ultralight DIY designs and usage ideas. This is where Guy's expertise comes in. Guy Stewart is a very experienced bikepacker and has no problems heading out into the elements to test his creations to ensure they work as designed while withstanding the harsh conditions in the Rocky Mountains. I've had the distinct pleasure of spending some time riding bikes and camping with Guy and I can truly say that he is a master of his craft. I hope you enjoy this conversation and bikepackersfoundry.com has an offer for you. A free 20-inch voile strap or volet strap, however you want to pronounce it, for each $100 purchase when you add My Back 40 podcast in the purchase note. And without further delay, I bring you Sarah and Guy Stewart. Hi, how's it going? Nice to meet you. You
1: too. Nice hair. Thanks for having us. Beautiful hair. Thank
0: you. Hey, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I can
1: blame
0: him so, for it. Yeah. I go in pretty cold most of the time, Sarah. Like a lot of time, I go in pretty cold. It seems to work for me. So I just kind of, that's the way I've always done it. Yeah, i
1: will N- figure it
0: out. Not always, but first time. most <laughs> times. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just super cash. We're just here. What are you looking at, guy? What are you looking
2: at? I'm trying to uh, get my <laughs> computer working.
0: <laughs> You're doing IT stuff?
2: No, I'm just, I'm trying to, I've got the. Bike Packers foundry website up here. Yeah, because there's some stuff that Sarah and I want to talk about. But our internet service only started up about uh, 30 minutes ago. It's been out
0: all oh, day. Oh no, really? <laughs> <laughs> so
2: we're—I was tra- practicing trying to do it on the telephone, or just on my on my cell phone.
0: Oh yeah,
2: so still back. I'm logging back into accounts and everything else here.
0: So well, well if it Are gets you're in Kenmore as well, Steve? No, I'm in Invermere.
1: Okay.
0: yeah well if the internet starts going flaky then we'll know we'll know where that source is from so um thanks for joining thanks for hooking up it's great to connect again i think a lot's happened i think it seems to me like my sense is that there's been a lot of growth for you guys
1: it's been a bit of a crazy year not just for us but for everybody but yeah it's definitely been an interesting first year
0: and um now, guys, Guy and I have had a conversation before on the podcast. We'll get to Guy in a minute. But, uh, Sarah, why don't you just tell the folks listening kind of a little bit about yourself? And then t- give us a lot of dirt on your dad, too. Give us a lot of dirt about stuff like that. Because <laughs> I'm really interested.
1: Um, Try to keep it a little PG. <laughs>
0: um,
1: well, when dad retired, he took up bike backing and quickly grew to love it. Uh, which was very apparent on how many messages I got, that he would be off-grid for a few days. Um, His wife can definitely attest to that as well. Um, Shortly after he started, he started making his own bags because he wasn't finding what he needed. And end of 2019, he approached me and said, I started making bags, as you know, and I said, yeah. And he goes, well, it's feeling a lot like work, and I don't really want to work. And I wanted to know if I wanted to make a business of it. And, um, I definitely know the, the skill and the time and the effort my dad put into his designs and, um, definitely saw the business opportunity there. Um, my background is in sales. Um, I've sold everything from vacuums to diamonds. Um, so bags aren't really too far out of it. Um, kind of grew up with sewing with my mom being a seamstress, um, didn't have, crazy amount of experience sewing myself but you know did home ec and all that stuff in school like everyone does uh grew up around my mom always sewing so I definitely understood the basic principles but I uh had to teach myself how to sew again which was actually not nearly as hard as I thought it would be and became kind of enjoyable quite quickly um I don't come from the bikepacking world which is probably interesting for some, but um, well, I yep. definitely enjoy the outdoors.
0: Well, let's go back. Let's go back even before. So, like, what's what's your story? How was how was growing up? Where did you grow up? How, what did you do when you were a kid? Were you were you like the, the kind of the, the the nerdy kind of intellectual person, or did you give guy a hard time and you're out partying all the time when you were a kid? Uh,
1: I was a bit of a chameleon. I went through some phases do um, <laughs> a bit of a goth for a few years a bit of a oh, punk nice. for a few years got into raving for a very short stint um was always in love with snowboarding started skiing when i was really young but when i started snowboarding i was hooked before we even got our gear off um from the hill that day i went and bought my first snowboard so definitely love the outdoors do do some biking but not nearly as hardcore as you guys <laughs> um Yeah, I'm really into pool. I love kayaking. Anything water-related is my bag.
0: Oh, that's cool. Are are you going to branch out and do some paddling stuff too, like some dry bags? I would
1: would really like to put some of our bags on some motorcycles because I'm a diehard rider, and I definitely see the ability to put it on some um, kayaks, canoes. My boyfriend's really into um, paddleboarding and packrafting right now, so definitely see some... Stepping out there in the years to come.
0: That's cool. I don't know if you listened to the the podcast I did with Amy Bender. This is just a quick tangent, but she was mentioning that her husband uh, enters. I think you could consider it an endurance event where they uh, paddle or paddleboard, stand up paddleboard the Yukon River.
1: Oh my goodness!
0: And um, I was thinking that'd be right up my alley. uh, Right up my alley. And I could just imagine having like some bike packer foundries like dry bags strapped to the front, you know, and then maybe one to the back because it sounds like it's like a self-supported. Sounds very cool. You're in the
1: Yukon; it has to be. Yeah, I posted a motorcycle trip to uh, the Yukon uh, year before last, and was gone for a month and a half. And there's lots of places where you don't bring your own gas or food everything you're not seeing another stitch of humanity for 300 500 600k (laughs)
0: yeah that's awesome too a buddy of mine got into that enduro kind of back road um motorcycle packing type stuff and he would just tell me i didn't have a bike he would just tell me some of the places he'd been to like where you couldn't get you know just super remote spots in the middle of nowhere on these bikes it sounds fun actually Maybe. Yeah, it does. Uh, Curtis
1: mentioned a, a, a bridge they had to go across that, and he's not someone who gets scared easily, but he walked his bike across this bridge because you could literally see through it with no. like two foot chunks missing here, there, and everywhere.
0: Yeah, with a 300 or 400 pound bike wet with a bunch <laughs> of food and stuff on it. Oh my God. Yeah.
1: Well, he had his dog with him too.
0: yeah that's fun stuff like adventure comes in a lot of different flavors right and so there's a there's a huge crossover I think with all this stuff with all the luggage and whatnot so um not a not a seamstress um what kind of did you do what did you do to kind of get your your craft to kind of hone your sewing craft just uh did you waste a lot of material getting there or did you no, just make stuff yourself? No.
1: I've always been a big fan of fixing or repairing or converting things that I own. Um, I don't like looking like everybody else. So lots of my fashions that I wear, I've either had to fix myself or change myself. Um, so I kind of already did a bit of sewing that way, but it was totally different fabrics, right? And the one thing that was really interesting to get over is that you can't use push pins for anything with this fabric because it's it's needs to be, waterproof or watertight or water resistant and it's definitely a different median altogether um, I would say most of the designs were fairly easy to pick up I think the most difficult ones to pick up were the bottle cradle originally just because there's some weird sewing spots that are a little hard to maneuver around and one of our latest products actually the seat bag that one gave me quite some trouble but I have now conquered it and have put out quite a few products that I'm proud of. I never put out any, any products that I'm not proud of, to be clear.
0: <laughs> well, you take after your your dad, because the, the stuff that I, I got, I got a pair of straddle or set of straddle bags from the summit a couple of years back. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, you could put a price tag on that stuff, put it on, put a hook on it and hang it in a store and sell it. Like it's good quality. Like stitching was really good quality and you could tell you put a lot of thought into it. Um, so, so when, when Guy kind of reached out to you and said, Hey, I want to do this thing, let's do it together. What was, what were you thinking at the time? Is this something Um, that you were just you wanted to jump in with both feet or?
1: Well, I kind of look at every challenge in life as a worthwhile one. Anything you learn something new every day, or at least if you're living right, you learn something new every day. So I just looked at it as a new challenge and said, let's figure it out uh the sewing part was actually not the scary part the website part was the scary part (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm not i'm not a techie so um that definitely was a little intimidating for me but i have become more comfortable with it over time and i'm sure i'm more comfortable with it further in time
0: i am a techie and i remember putting the getting the podcast ready and just trying to trying to figure all that out It was crazy complicated. It's complex, like to get it all going, you know, like all the different, all the different conduits you need to set up, especially if you're going to be selling stuff too. I think that, can, that adds a layer exactly. of complexity that I'm sure is just, you know, are, are you guys um, um, uh, just nationwide, like Canada wide? Are you selling uh, globally?
1: No, I'm globally. Awesome. Uh, I've sold to quite a few to the UK. Awesome. Um, where else have I sent you? Germany. Australia, um, all over the states. Um, yeah, I think that's about it for now, but I'm we're open for world sales.
0: Congratulations, man. That's awesome. That's just fantastic. guy, get in here. I think and it's pretty cool. They cool. send You're something on
1: mute. to another continent. I'm like, Oh, something else of mine that I built is gonna be on another continent.
0: Very cool. Yeah, and it's just and, and you know the community is so tight that it just spreads really fast, right, within this tight little ecosystem you know
1: well definitely from some of uh our part some of the people we've partnered with and some of the clients that we have um people know each other from all over the world the races that you guys go to and and the the forums you guys talk on and everything else like that like it is a small world
0: (laughs) yeah definitely so so tell me about your product lineup let's talk a little bit about that what did you start with
1: well, uh, when we turned dad's hobby into the business, we started with three core items, the straddle bags, which you have a setup, our fender bag, and our bottle cradle. Um, we wanted products that were able to be used with one hand accessibility while riding, uh, that were light, durable, and cost friendly. One of the biggest thing I, things I noticed when I got into this uh, business is that pricing out there is pretty steep for this sport. Um, and I think that everybody needs to have an ability to enjoy what they want to enjoy, despite cost so we wanted it to be affordable um we always are striving to maximize the time folks can spend riding rather than dealing with their gear so quick in quick out easy easy to use lightweight Um, lightweight
0: durable (laughs) yeah man it's great stuff
1: it has to be because everybody is going to be riding their gear and dragging it with them right yeah um we do have a bunch of new gear that just came out, our seat bag, our XL straddle bag, our bike handle, our hidden tool roll and repair roll. Um, we just invested in custom volet straps, both 20 and 32 inch, um, brought right from the manufacturer, which was great, as well as a custom top tube bag and the Jones H-loop handlebar harness. Um, all can be seen on the site right now. We definitely have a few other things coming down the line, but they're not quite out.
0: Trying to find nothing that. Nothing goes. Trying to find that harness. Trying to find that harness. No,
1: don't be sorry. Go into the customs uh, and then the drop-down menu at the bottom. Um, Great site. Nothing goes awesome. on, goes on the site unless it's been tested multiple times by Dad. We have um, gone over designs and tweaked them and changed them as we go on. We're always trying to uh, innovate on the products that we have coming out and the ones that have already yet been out. So. Just like in life,
0: everything can improve. That harness is awesome. I'm just looking at it (laughs) on. Yeah, it's awesome. Because I I run a Jones bar and my front end takes a lot of different iterations just depending on how much I'm bringing and and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, I'm digging that. That's awesome.
1: Well, that one is really versatile too because the the size can be as small or as large as you want it. And I don't know if you saw, but there's like a nice little pocket on the inside so you can have easily accessibility to your snacks, your cell phone, anything you want right there in front while you're riding.
0: Yeah, people listening, BikepackersFoundry.com. We haven't really mentioned the website yet. Oh, come on in. Am I talking too loud? It's my daughter. She's coming to say hi.
3: What's wrong, honey? Too cute.
1: oh
0: thanks yeah i thought about buying a buying do the rich roll thing and buying a container and putting it in the backyard and then running power out to it <laughs> you have my own studio out there um yeah i know the harn- harness is very cool sorry what were we gonna say
1: you and thousands of other people are doing that this year now we're working from home
0: i know right you need an office just you know a couple grand it's a pretty easy reno wouldn't, would yeah. you need a permit for that? you probably need a permit for that.
1: Not, huh? A lot of people are just doing sheds. Just doing yeah. a shed into
0: your office. Yeah, yeah, I could do that. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, so that's, yeah, very cool. I really dig the harness with the with the lash on top, too, so you can kind of strap stuff on top. Yeah, very cool. So tell me more. Tell right. me more about your stuff.
1: Dad, do you want to talk about the black, the bag that you were showing me? <laughs>
0: Well, oh, that
2: one's—I uh, don't know—it's—it it's, needs uh, needs some testing on it. But uh, yeah, I, I, as you know, Steve, I had um, my Rolling Deal uh, built me a bike, and uh, I had a couple little uh, little titanium stubs welded to the uh, oh,
0: I heard about that
2: to the to the seat stays, right? Yeah, at the bottom of the seat stays, just above the axle. So I've been running uh, those with uh, one of the custom uh, DIY composite racks similar to the one I showed you uh, in 2019 when we rode together for Global Fat Bike Day. And uh, so subsequent to that, I've uh, made uh, what's now called a Rackless panier. So it's a little bag, uh, just showing it to Steve here on the camera. It's uh it's about seven inches wide and three inches thick and uh, it rolls down and it goes, uh, it mounts just above the axle. Um, it going into the, the little, uh, the little stub tube that, uh, is on these. So uh, again, I'm able to, uh, packraft with, uh, without a backpack. So I can do, uh, I can load up all my bike, bike rafting gear and, uh, off I go with uh, without having a a pannier rack.
0: Now would people actually need those pins specifically in that spot to yeah, use no, that bag? I
2: mean, it's, it's very much a it's a custom super item, custom. That, yeah. uh, was a super fun project for me to build, and yeah, uh, they look they look really really good and uh, and light. So the pair of them uh, with all the mounts and everything is five just over five hundred grams. So, and it gives me – I've got a wet wet storage as well so I can uh, put wet storage on top so my shoes can go there, like my water shoes and what have you. Nice.
0: So, uh, what's the capacity yeah. of those bags?
2: The bag itself is around – each bag's sort of maxes at seven, about seven liters. Okay. And then there's a space on top of it as well, so like shoes are in addition to that seven liters. But the beauty is you can you can absolutely flatten them out so there's nothing there. Right. Um, So my other goal with making them was, because I think for the next while at least, like maybe as much as another year, there's going to be a lot of places where bike packers won't be welcomed. And uh, so I wanted to be able to ride for a couple weeks without resupply. So I can put, uh, looking like I can get around 40,000 calories on the bike without a backpack.
0: So is that the system you're going to use on the Epic this summer to do it uh, self supported
2: that's that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, if, oh, if should I have said it, that?
0: Was that a surprise?
2: Oh no, that's fine. Shit. fine. I thought it was going to be some open.
0: stunt. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a it's great though. What an awesome uh, what an awesome the uh, way to push yourself. Yeah, try to do that. That's wicked.
2: Yeah, that's fine. It, it's it's really interesting because the uh, making these things is actually made me get more disciplined about the rest of my bike. Um, like I just realized now how much. How much stuff I can put in other places, particularly with the uh you know the fender bag makes a huge difference. Mm. And then the the uh the custom top two bags that uh Sarah's uh got up on her site now, uh those started off. I built uh I don't know, seven or eight of them now. Oh, cool. And uh they're uh I don't think there's any pictures up there yet. No, it's gonna... no there they're...
0: isn't. <laughs>
2: we're uh, We're waiting for the snow to stop so we can actually take pictures
0: <laughs> it's crazy what a winter or yeah we're we we got a bit cooler we we had a little sprinkling of snow, but yeah it's the other day I was on the trails and it was talc it was just so dusty, which is kind of scary actually yeah. super dry we'
2: Liz and I were looking this morning at uh all the fresh uh, ski tracks uh, on the other side of the valley <laughs> yeah. uh, people dropping down the chutes that the north-facing chutes uh above camor here and uh yeah you'd, you'd think it was a resort skiing uh, destination rather than backcountry skiing <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, funny. And
2: that was all for fresh snow this weekend
0: wow crazy i wish
1: i could say keep it but we were plus 11 today and we were plus 18 last week and then we're supposed to have snow tonight tomorrow and the day after yeah
0: where where are you located sarah
1: um, I'm at my temporary home in Fort St. John. Oh okay. My permanent home's in Athabasca, but you know, with COVID and work and everything.
0: Right. Wow, it's warm up there. So what's the what do you think? Are racks coming back? Are do you think uh, racks are coming back? Or do you think it's still kind of split?
2: It, it, I think it's 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 a tough call. I mean if you're um riding a smaller bike, like for example, Liz rides, you know, extra small. Um, you know it's if she's riding an extra small hardtail a a rack totally makes sense for her particularly if you want to run a a dropper post so I think you know certainly that's what got me into messing around with racks for myself was the, the whole concept of being able to you know carry a decent amount of load without a backpack and still be able to run the full drop so that shows up on the DIY stuff on the site there where you can see the the angle of the rack is such that allows you to uh, you know, still have a, a decent amount of stuff on the bike and run your dropper post without, uh, without compromise. And that was a lot of what went into the design behind the seat bag as well. The, uh, the seat bag allows you to run a, your full, full up dropper.
0: Cool. When, when did you um, uh, XL straddle straddle fender? Seat bag. Tell me more about the seat bag.
2: Uh, so it's been in development now for gosh, uh, actually since before you and I uh, had our first chat back uh, back in December of 2019, uh, I was messing around with with prototypes back then and uh, built a number that were they're quite good, but they were you know really hard to make and very time consuming And I was also focused on making uh, waterproof, seat bags and then what i realized after a while was that there wasn't actually value in having a waterproof seat bag it made a lot more sense to make the bag as sturdy and as robust as it could be and then have a just run a conventional dry bag inside of that so the the seat bag's quite um it's it's a completely different design than shape wise it looks the same as any other seat bag that's out there, but uh, it mounts with two volley straps. There's nothing on left on the bike when you take the bag off the bike. It's just a seat, so the uh, the bag connects to the seat rails. And if you're running an extra heavy load, you could put in a third volet strap. And uh, so one one strap goes underneath and forces the load up into the between the seat rails and the other one goes around the back and uh, lifts the bag up and all of the compression happens from the bottom. So it's quite a, it's, it's a very, very sturdy and secure mount on the bike without a lot of weight. Like the whole bag with two volet straps comes in, I think around 175 grams for a bag that will hold you know, six, maybe even seven liters. I typically, personally, I run it around maybe five or something like that. But that's just more my riding style. I don't, I don't need to have a, that much in there, and and you're also limited by weight. Of course, you can't. In my testing or our testing, because it's not just limited to me, uh, about 1,500 grams seems to be the upper limit on, on a on a straddle bag, and still have your full dropper post functionality. Mm.
1: You mean seat bag?
0: Seat bag. I'm
2: uh. Sir, what did I, what did I say? Straddle bag.
0: <laughs> Sorry about that.
1: Well, the other the other part of the seat bag is that with the straps, the uh, mounting and dismounting of your bag is much quicker than other seat bags out there.
0: I'm jealous of anyone who can run a dropper with a seat bag because <laughs> I can't do that. I, My legs are too it, it's short, a dude.
2: Game changer, Steve. What's like, that? It really it's, it's a bit of a game changer. Yeah, um, it's an interesting. So the 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 other part of the bag. Is that it's designed to be compressed before it was on the bike so it's got a it's just it looks like a conventional roll top bag but there's actually when you roll the bag up there's a provisions in the daisy chain that runs around the perimeter of the bag to uh to to loop the the roll top through the daisy chain so the bags in compression before you even put it on the bike mm. so I'm, I'm down now i can I can mount it on the bike in probably no more than twenty seconds.
0: That's cool. Um, yeah, but I'm just envious because I would have—I have no room for a dropper. I—I <laughs> I think between my uh, my seat bag and my tires, like maybe that's generous, like three inches. Oh okay. Oh, dude, I'm a stump. I just a stump on a bike. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Steve I'm gonna tell you the same thing I tell my mother what's that God only lets you lets people grow as long as they need to some of us just take a lot longer than others yeah, yeah
0: that's right I think I started to shrink already though <laughs> <laughs> it's over it's over <laughs> yeah I know that's awesome so so tell me tell me a bit about your business relationship so does guy call you Sarah at like two in the morning with oh my god I got this great idea so what we're gonna so, do well <laughs> cool. Full disclosure: It's Sarah's business. It's not mine. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, but I meant as a collaboration. I mean, you're you're kind of like the 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 tech kind of designing the stuff, right? And then are you are you the the seamstress or the 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 sewer plus the marketing just, plus the business? Like
1: I'm running the business. So you just gets to do the fun stuff of designing and testing.
0: So when the when the nerd from the lab calls you up. <laughs> It says, "I've got this great idea." <laughs> I You're always like,
1: love hearing them, Dad. I it, do always know that when I first hear about an idea, it's not the last time you hear about <laughs> the idea because everything changes. Dad, he'll, he'll come up with great ideas, and then it has point two, point two oh, 0.3 Oh, oh right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's more more what I meant by that. But uh no, that that's awesome. Like, it's uh how how has it been working with your dad?
1: Oh, it's been great. Um, He very much, like he says, it's it's my business and I run it the way I please, but it's his hobby and he has the expertise. So I definitely lean on him for um, his opinions and his expertise on that end. Um, He's a little more tech savvy than me, so he helps a little bit with the website. But um, as I said, he's retired and doesn't really want a job again. So I try to not bug him. Um, I sent him a lot of emails and we just recently realized that he doesn't really read his emails that often (laughs) nowadays.
0: It's called inbox zero. You just delete it. We'll
1: see.
0: (laughs) See, it's important in in an email, um, when you're setting up your email, um, boundaries that you set boundaries early on. So he's done that. He's like, I don't, I don't do email. (laughs) oh that's
1: because he's off grid all the time off grid all the time
0: (laughs) yeah that's right um i know i know we don't have to get super personal but tell me tell me a funny story about your dad when you were young
1: Hmm. that's gonna take a second
0: guy went on mute
1: well the fact that i'm not an only child i actually have a twin sister um i would say most of the funny stories relate with a father dealing with daughters (laughs) and the fact that Young twin daughters can say some pretty strange things. And he was fairly good at dealing with the questions and rolling with the punches, but you could always sometimes see the shock on his face with what (laughs) was said. Because me and my sister had our own language and we would have our own little conversations and then come up with the darndest questions for our parents. So I will give him kudos for being a guy and putting up with all of that. estrogen little estrogen we <laughs> did when
0: we were children <laughs> all right you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna let him off easy i'm not gonna pry into that anymore i just want to know i wanted some dirt a dirt on dad it's really what i really want <laughs> i will
1: share some dirt when we share a beer one day okay
0: Steve. well hey i got some cannabis around here somewhere here let me <laughs> oh funny um so super awesome growth you've had. You're doing really, really well. You have global reach. Um, what, what are your plans? What, how do you, uh, do you have like a roadmap of where you want to go? Do you have products kind of in mind that you, you want to develop?
1: Well, we're developing a uh, handlebar strap guides right now um, with elastic cord retainers for soft items. That's also working on a bag that he's dubbed the fireball bag. Um, that we look forward to testing and all the rest of it. Hopefully it'll come out this year, maybe next. Um, we did talk about the reckless. Primaries. Is that good? Guy just whipped well, it that's out. I, that's oh, the no. bag I wanted him to talk about, oh, okay. when we're Talking about the Jones because this is a companion for the Jones.
0: All right. Do it. So, Let's uh, it.
1: This is a dry bag that he has built to go with the Jones Jones H, uh, loop harness. Um, a little bigger than will probably end up going into production because it is pretty ginormous, but uh, I can see that one coming out later this year.
2: It's I can, uh, I can get my entire winter sleep system into this bag and still fit it on the handlebars, and the bag weighs 120 grams.
0: Oh, nice! How big around is it then? Like uh seven inches, uh, eight inches? Uh, uh, or do you, you're millimeters, right? Uh, probably. What is it going to be?
2: Twenty. It's about 23 inches in circumference.
0: Oh, that's big. One.
2: But yeah. it's, uh, 40, it's 45 inches long before you fold it. And both <laughs> ends are, it's roll, roll top on both ends. Yeah. So, awesome. uh, it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful bag. I've this particular one, uh, I think I've got a, maybe just under 2000 kilometers on it now. It's just, it's like my favorite bag to, to carry and it's bomber durable. I'm, uh. I'm actually using uh, to seam seal it. I'm using Tyvek, uh, Tyvek tape.
0: Oh yeah, just taping yeah, it, I, or do you tape it and then melt it?
2: No, it's it's a two inch wide strip of Tyvek tape that goes around the the entire seam. So you start on the inside of one side of the bag, and you could loop the whole thing around, or include it in the outside of the bag, and then join it back again on the, in the center on the inside. So even though the the seam isn't waterproof. It's uh, ridiculously water resistant. So, yeah, it's kind of a, it's an interesting little bag to make. Really nice. It's a, it's a lightweight X-pack fabric. So oh, it's cool. Quite, yeah.
0: I remember a handful of years ago, trying. I was trying to find a double-ended dry bag and I could not find one. I couldn't find one. I had to to go to the UK and I ended up getting one from um, Lomo Water Sport from the uk and it was like literally yeah. was like 16 bucks it was super cheap but then yeah. um i got one a uh, personal scott a personal rocket made me one. he welded me one like after kind of after the fact
2: yeah and, i have one of, i have one of scott's bags as well and they're they're it's another favorite of mine particularly for day riding. but the beauty of this fabric is that it's it's uh, slippery on the inside right so you can slide your whole sleep system in you don't have to pack it you just kind of this slides it in nice yeah it's fun
0: that's awesome so
2: i don't i don't bother uh i don't I don't bother doing any doing any fancy pack and I just roll my my uh sleeping mat around uh my sleeping bag and just slide it into the bag and then throw it on the bike so yeah I was out uh out last week uh on an overnighter and it was uh i deliberately picked a day when the weather was gonna be just miserable and uh so I was able to actually pack the whole bike except for the tent from inside the tent.
0: Oh, nice. (laughs) Just turning yourself inside out into your bike. Like just like (laughs) reverse vomiting everything back onto your bike. (laughs) Yeah. It
2: was pretty cool. I I took some pictures of it. I haven't put them up on the web (laughs) yet, but I'll put them up in the blog there. It was actually kind of a, it's I've done it twice this winter when the weather has been really bad, but it's, uh, it's definitely a different approach to, uh, to pack in your bike than uh, I think I've seen anybody else do.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. You know what? Uh, kudos to you as well because I don't think I'm a I'm a super fair weather w- rider. Like, I'll go out when it gets a bit shitty. But, I mean, I think most people will be like, nah, I don't want to. So, good for you. Yeah, right? Good testing.
2: Yeah. It's, it's it's it's, I was just going to say, it's fun to actually get out and test gear under real conditions because then yeah. you know it's going to perform and so I'm, I, I'm not too surprised. I only had one time this winter where I was uh, a little bit uncomfortable. And, uh, the uh, yeah, it was it a was beautiful evening. And uh, I looked up the weather forecast on the inReach, and it showed a bit of wind coming in, which hadn't been in the forecast earlier. And I heard the wind pick up around 3 a.m., and I kind of looked around. Oh, I better put a few more stakes out. So I had the tent fully staked down and around 4 30 i'm guessing it was probably gusting up at where i was it was probably up around 175 oh jeez! Um, like, like nakiska ridgetop which isn't too far away it was gusting to 230 there 200 the one
1: where you, you have the video with your uh with your bike just going
2: so I, dad, I know just, i was too i was too busy uh <laughs> keeping everything from blowing away to take any video <laughs> that was just
1: that one video where you're on the lake the one day and literally you can see how the whole bike is just rattling with the wind coming at him and like the snow is going sideways beside him and he's just up, like yeah
2: that that was, was a different trip a few weeks later <laughs> i've been because, i'd like
1: to mention too viewers or the listeners I suppose <laughs> I should have said, the listeners that uh, one aspect of Bike Bikepackers, Bikepackers Foundry that uh, we really want it to be a community we really want it to be uh, a place where people can go and get great advice or just put in good questions or if you're having any challenges with any of your gear, give us a shout, let us see if we can solve some problems for you. Everything that we have on our site was built to solve problems
0: so are are all the um all the products available for uh DIY for people to download plans for like or do you have a kind of a catalog of di- di- DIY
2: There's uh there's a bunch of stuff on there Steve I mean obviously the the products that uh is selling it it would make sense to yeah, uh Of course to do those do those designs but uh things that she doesn't think that are commercially viable um I'll uh, I'll tend to put up uh some designs. I've got uh a handful of uh things I've uh, done recently that uh clearly aren't commercial and uh they'll be up on the site here. Uh if I'm not out bike packing I'll work on the website. How's that, Sarah?
1: That's pretty much fair. And how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> as as it should be. I need you out there testing gear.
3: <laughs>
1: That's so
0: funny. Putting the hammer down, right? Get get to work. Go outside and ride your bike and test the gear. Well, lazy. I'm such
3: a
1: meaty. I'm such a meaty. <laughs> My goodness. There's two things I'd really like to bring up. Okay. Um, I think the biggest thing about Bike Packers Foundry, above it being a community and a family-based business, um, we launched this. Our launch date was supposed to be when COVID was announced, which extended obviously our launch date because everything was pretty weird for that first month or so. Um, With starting a business the very first year of business during COVID, um, I've obviously gone up against some challenges that I've never experienced in any of my previous sales jobs. Um, Just getting products and sourcing materials and everything else like that. Yeah, supply chain
0: must be super challenging with
1: it is. It is. And, and things you would normally expect to be a couple of weeks, sometimes end up being a couple of months, if not longer. Um, uh, with most of our, our major purchases uh, in this last year, there's been huge delays and it's definitely added to the cost of everything. Um, I think the biggest thing about starting a business during COVID or yeah, I guess that's the only way to put it is um, I never anticipated to be working from home with my whole family home. God love them but it's kind of hard to go to work when your family's at home all the time. (laughs) You just want to hang out with them, right? Um, But we definitely succeeded through all the challenges this year and I can see it going great in the years to come. Um, Final note I'd like to give to our customers. Anybody who's purchased a fender bag from us previous to now will be getting upgraded with two volet straps as well as a cord lock hook Um, We did kind of tweak our fender bag over this last year, and we want to make sure that everybody enjoys the same ease of use of our products. Um, So those will be sent out shortly here, free of charge to all previous fender bag customers.
0: What a great company you guys are, you know, taking care of your customers. You know, that's the thing. I think one, the COVID thing, I think that the last, the last year, what was like, what, 18 months now, 14 months, has just has been a challenge that's for everyone. And I think it's really made a lot of people just um, question what they're doing with themselves. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh And I think it's so great that you just uh, persevered through it and grew through it and built this great community and this, this great company that's building products that, that people want. And the timing is really good too, in, in a way, because, you know, once things calm down, people are just going to want to escape, right? And they're going to want good stuff to do it with. And you're, you're kind of giving that to them. So congratulations on on that as well. If you decided to do it and you, you stuck with it and you didn't back down and, and um, kudos to you for just succeeding through this crazy time.
1: I think with the spike in bike sales and everything else like that that people have talked about and shortages on uh, getting parts for your gear and everything else like that. Um, I think a lot of people have taken COVID as an opportunity to get back in touch with their outdoorsy selves and get their families out there walking and biking and doing all those things that you don't have people around for other than your close immediate family. So um, I think it was probably a good year to start this. Not that We wish COVID had happened, but it did happen to be a decent time to do it. And I just hope that going forward, everybody remembers the strength that they had to muster to get through this last year and the little last stretch that we're going to have. And they remember all the lessons that they learned about how quality time is not going to the mall, is not... You know, big extravagance dinners and stuff like that. I hope people remember that they got in touch with their environment and with the outdoors and with their families, and they hold on to that. And we don't kind of regress back to the way the masses were before.
0: I think uh, it should show. It shows everybody that we can persevere through through this stuff. And I think if we just stick together and work together, and you know, be courteous to one another, uh, we can get through this stuff, right? absolutely and and to to take on these challenges that we're taking and then you know starting businesses or you know the adjustments of working at home with family and it's just so much adversity i've had so many conversations lately like th- through covid it's been interesting where people you 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 know quite well you uh, get to know them a little better when they're under this pressure of this pandemic you know what i'm saying like Definitely. you know like people you know i got vaccinated today so i, I you know i I had some, uh, yeah, thanks man. I was, I had an interaction with, with someone at a, at a trailhead and they might listen to this, but, and if you are, I, I hope you are. Cause I, you know, it was an awkward conversation because it came up right away. It's like, are you getting the shot? Are you getting the shot? And I'm like, mm, yeah, for sure. And it's like, well, you better do your research and check into it because this and that and the other thing. And, and, uh, it's like, Oh, I've done my research, <laughs> you know? I I, like, I I know, I know the risks. I know the odds. I know what it's for, you know. um, And I've listened to some really, really fascinating podcasts that kind of go back and look at uh, the history of the, of the, um, the anti-vaccination thing. Uh, Peter Mm Atia Drive. I don't know if you listen to the the Peter Atia Drive, but the one he just put out today. um, I don't know what the date is, 26th. Um, incredible. Um, just, just incredible. And he's had two in a row. And so, to, so people who are on the fence, kind of wondering about, you know, the science and technology behind vaccines and whatnot, should listen to these podcasts <laughs> because it's just, it's so much. There's so much common sense there, and just, um, it's just, int- it, it, it's so, it's so interesting when you, you encounter people that are on the total opposite side of the fence of you as you, and you're just trying to process that. You know, it's just kind of interesting. I don't know. I took I, us on a tangent if I, again.
2: <laughs> if I could jump in here, Steve. Of course you uh can. I'm old enough to uh remember people dying, so children my own age dying from things that are they're now vaccinated against. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think as a as a society that's one that is quick to be dismissed. So there's a lot of freedoms that we get as a society based on vaccination campaigns that have happened uh, over the the many decades up to today. So, not getting, in my opinion, not getting vaccines, not getting vaccinated is just crazy.
1: I think a lot of people who are and against
2: vaccines.
1: <laughs> I think a lot of people who are against vaccines are fortunate enough to live in a world that they don't remember diseases that killed people regularly that we now get vaccinated for. So um, a lot of times you just need to look at the past to realize that just because it's not an issue now, not an issue now doesn't mean it wasn't an issue then and things happen for the right reasons, right? I
0: had this great conversation with um, um, Charlie Tsai. He's the president of uh, Intelligent Design Cycles. And uh, I haven't put that podcast out yet, but a uh, super interesting dude. And the one question I really wanted to ask him, it's like, so, so he, he was, he's American. He was, I think he was born in California, but he lives in Taiwan now. And, um, just like, what does it look like from the outside when you look at North America, like from Asia to North America, what does it look like? Because, you know, you, you get a lot of the, the rhetoric of like control here, and the state's trying to control us, and forcing us to wear a mask, and forcing us to get vaccinated. And it was more around the mask thing, but he was just saying. He said in Asia, when we look over to the to the west and we see what's going on and the divisiveness with the masks, we just don't understand. He says it's it's a mask. It's like we wear it we wear it here to be polite, like when we're yeah. and and they've been doing that for. I remember working in Whistler in the like the the early nineties. And it was always weird because I was—I haven't—I wasn't very well traveled, but I'd see Asian guests come in and they'd be wearing a mask, and I was wasn't sure. And then someone told me, "Well, they're—they're they're sick. They're probably you know they have a sniffle or, you know, they have a cold or something, and they want to protect the people around them, so they wear a mask to to protect others from their sickness." And it's like, well, that's it's pretty nice, right? But over here, it's like, no, you're not going to put the Satan's muzzle on me and blah blah blah. And it's just so—it's so interesting, you know. Um yeah, it's been very interesting times. So I took us on this really crazy tangent and I don't know how to come back from it. <laughs> we could
1: let's talk about could. the bike packing trip. <laughs>
0: yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Somebody
1: tell me their their most interesting bikepacking
2: trip recently.
0: Oh man, I haven't really Oh You you go on like uh, a trip a week, guy. Like damn it.
2: <laughs> actually that that one with the wolves was just amazing. Like to be able to watch watch a pack of wolves work their way across the lake uh without them knowing that I was there. I watched them for 10 or 15 minutes before the wind shifted around and they uh they picked up my scent, but it was super cool to watch them and then to watch them split up and go around my camp. Um and and that one I sent you that little clip of the mm-hmm. wolf howling it was just amazing. Yeah, super <laughs> Cool.
0: So you spend a ton of time outside, a ton of time. So yeah. your, your comfort level is super comfortable, right? With being outside. What do you tell people who, like say, say for me, like even me, like I'm not super experienced, but when I lay down to go to sleep at night, I have a hard time calming down because I hear everything. I just hear something. I hear. I'm constantly hearing stuff. And and to me, what I think is that's kind of exposure. It's like I think if I was exposed more to it, it would be easier. But I, I've camped with people who who can just hit like like you. <laughs> you you just hit the mat and you go to sleep, right?
2: Yeah. So the I'm pretty careful about how I camp and where I camp. It was funny. I was chatting with uh, with one of the. Uh, the wolf researchers from parks canada after this little encounter i had and and he asked me "Were you did you feel um afraid or uncomfortable or what have you and i said no i try to always try to be the you know not be not act like a victim um is the way i that's the mental process that i use so the same thing applies to camping i you know i keep a clean bike my i don't store any food and any of the bags they're all everything's inside some other bag and uh that bag when all that stuff goes somewhere either goes hanging up in a tree or it goes in a bear locker or, or you know if i'm in a place where i need to use a, a a vault or a bag i will but uh that's probably the biggest thing uh so i i feel um like i've done what i can to uh to minimize the risk and i'm also careful about where i camp like if i there's one spot uh earlier this winter where i had a really it was so i was out random camping and i um had a real good look around and i realized that there was a pretty solid looking game trail not too far away including some fairly fresh cougar tracks so you know i just moved on you know just i'd seen enough i just picked a different spot a few kilometers away and no big deal. So I, a lot of it's just, you You know, I've talked before about not listening to podcasts when you're writing. I mean, that's one of the reasons I don't listen to stuff because I try to be aware of the environment around me. So.
0: I think that's good advice. Like just making it comfortable, doing all the things, doing the work you need before you bed down to feel comfortable about where you're, where, where you are. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I've always lived by it, by the, the assumption that, and I've said it before on here, it's just like you know, wildlife, m- most wildlife that can harm you, really, they're not nocturnal, like they have to sleep too. The other thing is, I I don't believe animals are lurking around the woods looking for humans to drag out of their tents to consume. I think no, not at all. I think that's the last thing on their mind. So I think most of when I hear about quote unquote encounters, I always bracket that or quote that because you know, an encounter to me is like whipping out the bear spray and like, you know, that's an encounter where it's close proximity, but seeing a bear, like, you know, 150 feet away and you're like, Hey, and the thing takes off. Like, that's just awesome. I think that's beautiful, right?
1: (laughs) You're in their habitat. You're in their home.
0: Yeah. As long as
1: you don't make yourself look like lunch, they probably don't think you're lunch.
0: It's true. And I agree with the sentiment of, um, of, um, not acting like a victim. I think that there's something to that. I think like if you're if you're like dragging your ass through the woods and you're like (gasps) and like and screaming and being frustrated with something or, you know, yeah, I think you can look like a a wounded, you know, victim that's easy prey.
2: Even with even with Angela, so I was out for a ride yesterday and I came across a herd of elk that were uh, were blocking the pathway, and uh, you know basically just haze them off the pathway. You know, there's like I don't know if you were on that uh, bike back Canada outing when uh, we were riding the power line there a few years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Were you on that? I might have been. Like we were on the trail, like on the paved trail, kind of leading out.
2: No, it was no. that's a different oh, okay. different one. This maybe a little, a little further back. But when I got back to my bike, uh, there was a bunch of guys that had decided who was going to get which piece of my bike because of the elk.
0: But oh. <laughs> they're scary man like yeah i've been kind of approached by an elk way back in the day like yeah yeah, they're stompy i think they'd be very stompy and violent
2: (laughs) Just got to be careful with them that's
0: That's it right you know like treat them with respect and yeah Yeah. this whole time i've been trying to think of an exciting bikepacking story but i think i've told all my stories (laughs) i don't know i don't really know i've taught my, my panicky stories my getting lost stories I don't know, man. I don't
2: know. What are, you, uh, are you still going to try and do the BC
0: Epic uh, this yeah. summer? Yeah, I yeah. am. I'm going to ITT it. I'm probably going to leave a couple days before. That's the plan on that new Rollingdale, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> it's all coming together like just so, it's going to, the timing is going to be so tight. Like I basically have parts, I have parts all over the place. So just waiting for it all to come in so I can build it up. Yeah,
1: like a kid at Christmas, huh, Steve?
0: A little bit, and I actually got my uh, my uh, my K lite Nice. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, my K-Lite. Very, Very cool. cool. This, I don't know. Um, I didn't know what to expect when I got that. I've I've, I've spoken with Kerry State before, and but I've I've never gotten really up close and personal with this equipment.
3: Mhm. Yeah.
0: It's fucking tight. <laughs> this is yeah, nice he, he stuff. stuff is yeah. Question. Like he basically 3, 3D printed that. Like he makes that in his factory. You know, he puts the electronics in it. You know, it's cool. it's like uh epoxy filled apparently, so it's just this bomber waterproof charger. And the lights are the same. They're just um they're just bomber. And the even the looms like the uh you know, he's got some really nice connectors on here now. Yeah. You know, like yeah, just really nice stuff. But it's interesting because, you know, I'm a bit of a tech geek too. So I, I benched it up in my in my shop here. I put mounted it in the fork and hooked up the wiring and stuff. And, you know, I've heard people say, it's like, well, it costs you. Nothing Nothing's free. Nothing in energy is free, right? It's going to cost you something. And what is the cost of a dynamo hub? So I've heard anywhere from up to six watts would be the, the cost. But it's interesting. So I had it benched up and I'm spinning. I, I can hand spin the wheel and actually get the lights to come on. Right. Kind of at that low standing by standing light kind of thing. Plug the, you plug the cache battery in and plug that into the thing. I could almost sense the drag increase. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's like obviously the more you, the more things that you're hanging off of the circuit, the more drag there's going to be. So I felt like I could feel a bit more drag, the more stuff I had plugged in. And then especially when the lights get bright. And I noticed that too, like the lights are very, you know, um, Anyway, I, I just feel like I could feel the drag a little bit. So I don't know what that's going to be like when I'm actually riding the bike. But um I think with speed and, you know, you'll have enough inertia and obviously that lever from the from the hub to the outside of the rim. That's quite a big a big lever to be to be pulling while you're rolling down the road. So I imagine I don't imagine it's going to make much difference at all, but I'm super pumped yeah. to like be able to charge stuff on the fly like
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause guy knows I listen to podcasts all the time, 24 hours a day when I'm on the bike. So I need as much juice as I could generate. (laughs) Fair.
1: (laughs) Well, hopefully you don't notice much of a drag with it. And Uh, hopefully it gives you enough power to listen to all your podcasts. Yeah. No, I,
0: I think, I think the trade off it's, it's, there's that trade off too. It's like, you know, people weight weenie over tires and it's like, I don't weight weenie over tires. It's like, you know, I, oh, but it's like, if you get the XO, it's, you know, the, the, the protection, it's like 200 grams more. It's like, take, give me 300 grams. I, ra- <laughs> I would rather have burly tires than save weight, you know, and just like this, this equipment, you know, it's like, you could probably get away with a lighter system, maybe with lithium batteries, but, but the amount of batteries you'd be pumping through all the time. And, and, uh, you know, it's bomber stuff. Um, yeah, anyway, a bit of another, another tangent there. But uh, man, that light would look good shining right over top of that Jones bar harness you guys have. So I'll have to maybe take a more serious look at that. (laughs) I'll have to look at that. So um, Guy, what was the learning curve to learning how to stitch for you? Was uh, Was it pretty steep?
2: Oh, I'm still learning, Steve. Yeah. I've got better at hiding my stitches.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So for folks at home we were kind of like thinking about, oh, I'd like to maybe sew something up. What kind of equipment do they need? Like, do they need some crazy burly sewing machine or can they get away with?
2: I think what you need is an industrial strength sewing machine. Uh, The one one that's really quite good for the money is uh, the uh, Singer makes a a heavy-duty sewing machine and uh it's got enough enough of a motor in it that it'll drive through fabric i for example i was today i was making a a set of uh elbow rests for for aero bars uh, just raising them up a little bit and uh i was going through 10 layers of x-pack vx21 and that I think it's probably the same needle that sewed these, uh, these, uh, rackless panniers. So it's got more than, more than a few feet of, uh, stitching on it. And yeah. There's no big deal. So yeah, if, if, buy a good sewing machine. They're, they're not, you know, terribly expensive to buy and, uh, yeah, just pick away at it. There's uh, a plug for, uh, for Hoffman outdoor gear supply, which is, uh, a Manitoba Canadian company based in Manitoba. That's, uh, selling uh really good quality uh fabrics and uh supplies so there uh, sarah's had really good luck uh, purchasing stuff from them we've been trying hard to uh to buy uh buy local where we can and uh we were thrilled that she was able to get the uh, vole straps uh, manufactured in uh, utah so that's where uh, Vole does their manufacturing and uh Back to the That's hogs,
1: cool. I will say that uh, Garrett is just a gem to deal with, especially as a small business owner and a woman with past sales experience. Um, he is more than accommodating and uh, very, very customer service oriented.
0: Yeah. So hogs, H-O-G-S, Hoffman Outdoor Gear Supply. And I was going to try to see if there was a phone number, but yeah, no. Yeah. Check him out. Hoffman Outdoor dot C-A. Where are they located?
2: I think uh, Portage Lake maybe. I'm just working from yeah. memory. There
1: me. Yeah, you're right, dad Exactly where he's too.
0: Cool. So, yeah, shout out to Hogs. Yeah, because that's the thing too. Is it hard to find this stuff? Like, obviously, supply chain issues are are prevalent, but is it kind of hard to find? Like, like I've never heard of this dude before. Like, are there a lot, a lot of, of different suppliers? No.
1: With a little bit of research, I've been really lucky to find all Canadian su- suppliers for the most part. Um, the biggest thing is finding the right price, you got to buy more to save the right mm. price, right? Yeah, so, that's the thing. and Because we're trying to offer the best value with our products to our customers, um, we definitely A, try to keep it Canadian and B, uh, you got to buy some stuff in bulk.
0: Yeah, well, that's, you know, it sounds like you need to, because you're so yep. successful. <laughs> You need you need all that stuff. <laughs>
1: Definitely will be making a few thousand more bags.
0: <laughs> uh, how many people do you have sewing? Is it just Just me. Just you?
1: Me myself and I. I am wow. the sales department. I am the IT department with a little bit of help from my spouse and my father. <laughs> I am the sewer and the tax lady. I'm I'm the lady. I hope to um to hire somebody uh when we get big enough to do so um i definitely have some friends and family members that are more than willing to jump in and start helping me sew some bags but we're not just we're not there yet but we will be
0: cool that's so cool i think that's so awesome so when are you yep. gonna when are you gonna go for a bike packing trip then sarah
1: um hopefully when we're allowed to travel again i hope to make it back down to canmore and do uh, a few bike trips with dad and liz um but this COVID stuff, it's kind of all dependent on when we're allowed to travel again. Yeah. Um, my spouse and I are looking into buying bikes so we can uh, do some stuff up here. But to be frank, uh, our love of camping and kayaking and uh, paddle boarding kind of takes up his very limited spare time right now. So hopefully when this job's over and we get back to a normal speed of life, we can uh, get into that a little more often.
0: Yeah, man, I love paddleboarding, but I I couldn't get out. I got out once last summer. I was riding my bike all the time. I got out once, but I love it. And I'd love to go for a multi-day one. I think that'd be so fun to go for a big multi-day stand-up paddleboard trip.
1: We've scattered out a few um, rivers to lakes in the area and stuff like that. The big thing with the paddleboard, though, is it's so rocky. And I'm not sure that you would ha- be very successful if you tried to do it with no fins. We forgot the fins one time, and it pretty much resulted oh, yeah, in me having suck. to go back to
0: shore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be horrible. What do you mean, rocky? <laughs> like, like, you have hard decks? Then you have like hard shell.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, it is a blow up paddle board, but yeah. and with the fins on the bottom, even yeah. the short one. Yeah. Um. The the rivers get so rocky mm-hmm. here. I think you just slice one off, right? So, we'll see. I'm gonna find a good one. Still, well, some more scouting.
0: Maybe you should be. Uh, this would be good motivate motivation for you to test this bike packing gear. Is just to get out there and do it, do it locally where you are. Exactly. Right. That's the plan. Thoughts I'm
2: actually you? building a bike up for uh, for Sarah right now. Oh yeah. For bike pack. Nice.
0: Yeah. Is it a secret? Sweet. What is it?
1: No, not a secret. It's a, <laughs> it's a
2: 1999 Kona Muni Mula.
1: Oh, nice Liz's bike yeah. i love that
2: it's, a, bike. it's actually a pretty cool bike it's uh it's still an amazing shape i still enjoy riding it
1: so oh your bike that makes a lot more sense i was thinking to myself five foot seven and five foot three
0: <laughs> well yeah it's a little bit of bike fit we'll get you on there <laughs> but it's it's guy's bike right is that what you said
1: yeah, well, he and I are very close in height. He's only a couple inches taller than me. Yeah. Um, but Liz is, is a much smaller lady than I am.
0: <laughs> so, what else are you planning? Planning guy this summer.
2: Uh, I think it depends on what uh, what goes for for rides. Like I'm uh, training, uh, tr- training to be ready to ride uh, whatever goes. Uh, I've also got a couple of interesting projects that might involve, uh, carrying my bike quite a bit.
0: <laughs> Hence the handle.
2: Yeah, that's that. well, actually that, and also just strapping it to a backpack. Uh, so yeah, one, they're, they're both, uh, con, uh, crossings of the continental divide in, uh, two different spots. Um, and uh, if if I don't end up doing a bunch of racing, then not that I'm very fast, but if I don't do that, then I'll work on those projects more seriously. Like as a one's about a 500k loop, and the other ones around uh, probably just shy of 400. But there's it's very it's very challenging conditions. I actually tore my left uh, medial meniscus uh, last last summer on the one route there where I just wasn't uh, wasn't prepared for what the conditions I had so. I had to do a little bit of rehab on that, but I uh, to be back to, back to strength.
0: So you need to pack up the these b- are summer trips. What was that, Sarah? Sorry, I interrupted.
1: I said, I hope these are summer trips because <laughs> last year we did it when the snow was kicking out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. These are both,
2: uh, they're pretty, uh, they could be steep and deep, uh, except for about six weeks a year or so.
0: And, uh, just to get over a pass, you have to, uh, pack the bike up to get over some, some pass or something.
2: Yeah, there uh, there's definitely no uh there's no viable bike route that uh, that that the bike can be ridden on but uh, they're they're relatively short ones uh I think ones like maybe 17 or 18k and the other ones only about maybe 10 so shouldn't be shouldn't be too bad
0: short and steep
2: motivation to keep my gear light
0: <laughs> yeah depending on how the summer goes like yeah i want to do the epic and i would love to get out and try to do the ar again or again like uh maybe finish it this time
2: <laughs> yeah i'm pretty keen on because uh, that's a you know hometown ride here so i'm pretty keen on uh, getting out and doing that for
0: sure yeah and that's the thing too last year was kind of a bit of a headache because of the you know in, interprovincial travel kind of thing seems like they're really tightening that up a bit more now than it, they they were then. But you know, you just gotta keep getting out, right? Planning and planning adventures and getting out. It's the only thing you can do. Right?
1: If one adventure falls through, just make another one.
0: Well that's it, right? <clears throat> do you get ever get nervous before races, guy?
2: Um yeah, occasionally. I uh, I think I've done it enough now that I'm I'm getting a little more mentally disciplined about mm. riding my own ride. Yeah, uh, I think in our early days I was always oh yeah, I got to keep up with the pack and all this stuff, and that's really not me. I mean, it probably takes me 40 or 50 kilometers before I'm even I'm even warmed up.
0: <laughs> I so agree with that. It's so funny
2: and it takes uh, forever. <laughs> so you know why would I try to keep up with a bunch of people when I'm not even warmed up? So. My goal, One of my goals for this year is to spend more time in the saddle. That's part of what the AeroBars bars mm. are about.
0: So, yeah. Oh yeah. Rid- was, we could talk about. We want to talk about that for a little bit. The aero bar thing, because because you guys were talking about. Someone had asked a question on the on the forum. I can't remember exactly what it was. Was it about uh, whether they were useful or whether they? Yeah.
2: I, I put a I put a post on the tour divide. Your post. Uh, Facebook page. That's I've, I've never. I've never posted any questions on social media before. Yeah. So um, it was interesting. And I tried to make it a, you know, a reasonably well thought out post, um, <laughs> explain you know, what I was trying to do and what I was writing and all that stuff. But yeah, it's, it's got some good responses. I, I haven't written enough to have an opinion yet. I, it feels pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. I've only got about, I guess maybe 300 kilometers now of riding on the, on the aero bars, but, uh, definitely the, the ride I did today with the, so I raised the, mm. effectively raised the bar, the, the elbow rest by one inch with, uh, with closed cell foam, yeah. And, uh, that seemed to help quite a bit. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a, a different way to do things, but the, uh, I've, yeah, just, it's different. I'll, Ask me. Ask me in
0: a couple of years, Steve. <laughs> well, You know, give me your answer. I, I've used them a little bit um, on the routes that I've had them on. It there hasn't been a lot of time to like be in them. Do you know what I mean? For a really long, especially when the Rockies, you're just you're either climbing or you're you're just like there's nothing really super flat for a really long time. But it's so nice to get into them just as a break. It's just a different body position. I think also it it there's a couple different things I find too anecdotally is, um, um. I heard someone say one of the comments was every time I get in my aero bars I need to scooch my bum back, and I would right. say that well your your bike's too short. It's it's too short. It, you don't have it set up right. So you either need to stretch stretch out the aero bars or maybe a bit of a longer stem just to kind of stretch it all out a bit. And the thing that I thought was really. Uh, uh, hang on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop my talking here for a second. Sarah, you need to yes. go. I just saw your message. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm sorry, Steve. Don't be sorry. Bitter, don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. family stuff, all uh,
0: that. And I appreciate you uh, coming on tonight. And Thank uh, you for having us. Sure. I really appreciate you having us. My pleasure. And I think what you're doing is so great and what you've done over the last year is so great. And uh, I'm so happy that it's been successful for you. And uh, I look forward to seeing your growth in the future.
1: Thank
2: you. Stay tuned. There's lots more coming. Yeah, on the whole arrow bar thing, Steve. I don't know. It's, uh,
0: but it's so definitely. Sorry, what I was gonna say is like it's it's it gives you a seating position. I think yeah, the it, it needs to be stretched out. I also think they need to be lifted up. I, I I understand like an inch is good. I'm thinking of buying either thirty or fifty millimeter risers on Amazon. You can get the profile risers to bring them up. Um, what I did alternatively is I jacked my entire uh, uh, cockpit up. So I, you know, actually, because I didn't have any steerer on one race, I, I ended up buying one of those steer tube extenders. They're okay. heavy. Oh, they're just
2: like with ugh, they're
0: horrible. They're so, they're so chunky. So I think when I build this bike, I'm not going to cut the steer. I'm just going to leave it long until I really know. But by that thing being high, like I could literally, what I really wanted was to be in the arrow bars, but not have to crane my neck so much, you know, that cause, cause I you know, people get Shermer's neck. Right. And and I think all that is just trying to be too arrow for way too long. Like you just cranked over and you're trying to see where you're going. And um, for me, yeah. it, it, I was trying to design my bike all around comfort. So it yeah. might, it might be like an old person thing to do, but I jacked it way up on the front. So when I was standing on my pedals descending, on my Jones bar, I was basically, pro, I was completely um, perpendicular. I was completely erect. My spine was completely erect. So when I get into the arrow bars, it was just like, I called it the couch. I could just, and with my cell anatomica and the arrow bars, when I get in that, it was just like, ah, it's just so like comfy. Um, yeah, I'm
2: really enjoying being able to stretch my back out. Yeah. Like I, yeah. when you get down in the arrow bars and you can actually open up your back and breathe, yeah. you know, breathe into your back. Yeah, you yeah. Breathe breathing. Justice. Yeah. Just it's, I'm really, it's quite interesting to play with it. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting, uh, hopefully the weather here in the next week or two is is such that I can get some serious miles in like, you know, maybe a couple thousand kilometers in uh, two weeks and, uh, see how it goes.
0: Like, I think it's more about comfort than arrow in in a lot of ways. Like, yeah. 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 It's not like a, it's not like a get a time trial bike. You know, it's it's like just a place to hang out. And then it, it you freeze up your hands. So if you need to open a package, you can kind of get in your arrow bars yeah. and, you know, play around. Yeah, I'll show you the – that's going to be my front end. So that's the, – these are Ryan, uh, Ryan Corey's bars. Sarah, oh, okay. Sarah gifted them to me. Oh. Yeah, so these have seen a lot of miles on the tour divide, but that's the yeah. light up front. And you got
2: your light mounted up there? Oh, yeah, fantastic. right up front
0: like that. Yeah. Yeah, very nice. So it's – uh. And that's kind of where I usually mount my light kind of right off the front. There's a, there's a perch there. So like if I had my, um, my uh, Princeton tech, I was just using a Princeton tech apex as a headlight. It's an awesome light. And like, like four lithium batteries, you get like at least two nights out of them, like all night kind of thing.
2: Yeah. That's that's
0: great. Yeah. So I, I kind of dig them. Yeah. I dig them, but yeah, you got to lift them up. I think you just got to lift them up. Yeah
2: i'd I'd left my uh my steerer tube uncut, so I've got a fair bit of room to play on that i'm I'm nowhere near the top of it yet um but I feel like I'm getting into a about the right spot like my uh aero bars are now about three inches higher no sorry about two and a half inches higher than the seat yeah to kind of give you a handle on so it's uh yeah it's good.
0: That's a great place to hang stuff. <laughs> just more places to hang shit <laughs> off the front of your bike, you know. <laughs> it's so funny. All yeah. Right,
2: well, I should let you go. Cool Thanks. man. Good chat.
0: Yeah, you too. I I hope we covered some things. I felt I felt a little scrambled tonight. I think it's because I was rushed with the kids and stuff, and I just I, I, I didn't feel very ready. But um, you kind of happy the, with the way it went. Obviously, I'll let I'll it out. Um, the interruptions and sarah leaving and and whatnot but uh i'll leave everything else in like
2: yeah no i think this looks great cool man sounds
0: good do you have any oh i'm it's my pleasure anytime dude if you want to talk about something i'm always open to having a chat with you guy because we don't get to see each other enough so if there's something you want to share like anytime man even if it's just like a little breather episode 20 minutes with guy what does guy have to say today
2: This, uh, this Fireball bag. Oh, yeah. Uh,
0: Can you talk about this publicly? Can I leave this in?
2: Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, it's, uh, I was, so I, I've been messing around with a completely new uh, way to open and close roll-top bags. Um, so I built a number of prototypes. I've started building prototypes last summer. And because there seemed to be lots of time with COVID. And so I, I focused just on the roll top closure. And so I've got a pretty, pretty solid uh, system now. And I was actually chatting with Sarah Hornby this winter. And uh, she was sort of asking what I was up to. And I'd actually been working on it that day. And I said, oh, I got this bag I've been playing with. And, you know, it's a, it's a rapid loader and uh, it's designed to go on the front of the bike. And I'm really hoping I can make it work on drop bar bikes uh, in addition, it's like it's specifically designed for Jones bars, but I'm very much focused on keeping the dimensions such that it can go on a drop bar bike. And uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I can't really tell you much beyond that. It's still uh, still very much a work in progress, but it it looks really favorable. And the reason it's called a fireball bag is because one of the things I was doing was uh, that when we were on, riding on Global Fat Bike Day,
0: I was just uh, thinking about Martin. <laughs>
2: I, but I passed around a bottle of fireball Yeah, and it's that same bottle of fireball. It's still, I was in my bike packing gear and I was like, Oh, I need, I need something that I can, it's consistent in size and I can try in the bag because the bag has got a bunch of internal or, organization in it. And so I was using the fireball, this little Mickey of fireball to, to size all these compartments that I've been building. And uh, yeah, anyways, so it's a, it's a fun project. It's, it's kind of a, I wouldn't call it a party bag, but it's certainly um, not something that a racer would use. But for touring, I think it's it. It looks really, really promising. I've uh, I was able to pack my sleep system the other day in it, and it took me ninety seconds. Roll out my sleeping mat, get my sleeping bag and a quilt into the bag, and get the top closed.
0: That's pretty fast, man yeah i was <laughs> that's 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 my my you know what packing up my sleep kit is my worst nightmare so i got I got to the point where i just was i would uh i would uh what would i do i would uh just basically make the sandwich and i I like fold it all in half and i'd roll it all up into, yeah, you, into my
2: your burrito as you call it
0: yeah well if i don't have the tarp i just use the the sol escape bivy as the burrito so I just basically right. roll it up and it's actually a really nice package. Like it, it it's about the size of a, like a you know a nalgine or something. Like fold the mat in half, lay it all out nice nice, square it up and then roll it up and just like uh, I have a question. Is it is it volet or is it voile? See I say voile. I, is it
2: volet? I say volet. I don't don't Does know. Does everybody that's say volet? I have no idea.
0: Reach out my podcast 40 gmail.com. <laughs> Because <laughs> I, because see, I'm from Eastern Canada, so when I see voile, that's right, right. Yeah. I think voile. That's what I think as 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 a French word. So everyone says volet. I feel like a dumbass half the time. But yeah, the sleep kit. Yeah, I just rolled it up into that little burrito, and yeah, I just use use the straps to strap it to the Jones. This is so great about the Jones bar, right? Is you can just lash it everything to the underside of it. Yeah. That's cool, man. I love how innovative you are and how you see these uh, gaps. You see these gaps, right? Like, oh, I could put a bag there, like the straddle bag, right? It's such a brilliant spot, you know, because you've got usually most head tubes are kind of big and long and the frame bags only only come, there, you know, they're four inches away from the actual head tube because of all the weld and stuff. It's like, well, that's room for bags, you know?
2: Actually, another place uh, you should try yours, I've started doing this on my fat bike because uh, I don't have aero bars, but uh, I ran all winter with... Uh, a pair of straddle bags mounted to the back side of the handlebar.
0: Oh, like where the, where your feed bag would go? Correct. Oh yeah. Interesting.
2: Instead of, because I don't use feed bags. I no. don't have any need. Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I actually really like it. They're, uh, I keep a first aid kit in one and I keep, uh, like this super light stuff that you want to have, you know, be able to get out fairly quickly. Yeah. Like I've started riding with a a mask, so I you know if I come across some people I have to put a mask on, then I do, yeah, you know like that kind of stuff. So you spend a lot of time yeah. on
0: your bike. I imagine you're just constantly thinking of, like it's
2: fun. I enjoy oh, it totally. It's, it's a yeah, good uh, good mental exercise, kind of pro, you know puzzle solving and problem solving. Like this whole thing with this uh, this roll top closure was pretty cool. It's a. Uh, I hope, I hope other people like find it as interesting as I do. The geometric shape is quite, quite interesting the way it all goes together cool, and do it with one. Yeah.
0: Well, I, you know, I remember you said, I think it was it at, you know, just before the summit you were making stuff. And then at that last summit you had mentioned, Oh, you know, I'm just kind of thinking about, it, it was just kind of getting the ball rolling on this thing. So to see it, to see bike Packers foundry become what it's become is pretty awesome. And to, and to hear that you have global reach and global sales is just, that, fantastic
2: guys. that's all that's
0: all Sarah yeah sorry when I say you it's a collective it's a collective you uh yeah. yeah you should be so proud of Sarah and I keep sorry I, I keep saying that I do notice I do that and it's like you say and you always correct me it's all Sarah it's all Sarah it's all Sarah, it's all Sarah. so I apologize Sarah for always that's no, 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 all good but uh when I do say you I th- it's a collective you know Bike Packers foundry you um so I think it's just fantastic what 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 you know, she's doing and what you guys are doing together to build this. is just awesome.
2: Well, thanks. I appreciate yeah. that a lot.
0: Cool, man. All, All right. right. Well, I should let you go.
2: Yeah, it's good chatting and yeah. uh, we'll uh, get out for a ride here.
0: I want to thank Guy again for his time and thank all of you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Uh, I forgot to mention it was a little bit fragmented. I had my little daughter Sloane coming in for an interruption, and then Sarah had to kind of bail. But um, those transitions were as smooth as I could make them. (laughs) I guess I probably could have did a bit better. But, you know, such is the nature of my podcast. Um, Yeah, so thanks again for tuning in. Don't forget, please reach out to me guest suggestions, feedback, and voice memos. I love hearing from you. So uh, just whip out your device, record me something, and send it to myback40podcast at gmail.com, and I'll get it on the show. Love to hear from you. To support the podcast, the easiest thing to do is just subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast on your favorite listening platform. Sharing is a great way to spread the love, actually. If you hear something on a podcast you want to share with someone, send it out there. Um, a lot of people don't listen to podcasts and they don't realize, uh, how awesome I think they are and how much knowledge and information, uh, is being shared in podcasts. So it's a great, great medium to share around. So I encourage that as well. If you find value in the, in the My Back 40 project and you want to contribute financially, you can tip me. Um, right now I've got, uh, you know what? I, I checked my inventory and I was wrong the whole time. I've got like a small lady shirt. I've got two large uh, my back 40 t-shirts and I've got a bunch of my back 40 embroidered trucker caps which I think are pretty awesome so if you tip me 50 bucks I'll send you a shirt or a hat uh, if you tip me 10 bucks I'm going to send you a patch and uh, whatever you whatever you tip me I'm going to send you some stickers so I appreciate it and I thank you in advance so I am let you guys go I've talked a lot on this podcast I don't know if you guys listen to the intro or not but uh, or if you just fast forward to the conversation but uh those of you who listen from start to finish, you guys rock. Thanks. (laughs) Sometimes I just go off. Sometimes I have a little bit of cannabis and I start to talk and I don't know. I just keep going and going and going. But anyway, guys, get out there, ride bikes, sleep in the woods, and keep the rubber side down.